So having mentioned Romans 8, 28, now we're actually going to read that passage in its context. And it's one of the great passages of the Bible on how the gospel fits with suffering. So Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, g'day friends. Uh, If you're like me, these last couple of weeks looking at joy at church has itself been a joy. I don't know about you, but I've, I've loved digging into the idea of joy this last little bit. I love seeing that God himself has joy and he gives us things to enjoy like life and salvation and and that he delights in our enjoyment of those things. He delights in our enjoyment of him. But all the way through, we've acknowledged that there's been this background question 
of how does pain and hardship fit into this idea of Christian joy. I know of one person who said that throughout this series, every time we've thought about joy, the first thing that's come to their mind is hardship. It's just always there in the background. And so today, we're going to try and wrestle with the question of whether joy and suffering can coexist. And my hope is that this is more than just a talk on suffering. I don't want this to be a talk on suffering. My prayer is that this is actually going to be a talk where we think about how suffering and joy works together. That for the Christian, they're not in opposition to each other, but they can actually live together. Now, if there was ever a time to ask for God's help, this is it. So would you please pray with me as we open God's Word that He would help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word and we consider the idea of suffering, Father, we ask that your word would help us, that we would hear your very voice as we open your word and you'd help us understand you and ourselves and this world we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. The way we're going to work work through this idea of suffering and joy is to trace Paul's thoughts in Romans 8 that Greg just read for us. Uh, Because Romans 8 is a great place to look at this because it starts by recognising, acknowledging the universal nature of suffering, that it's something everyone will face. So take a look again from verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the, one, by the will of the one who subjects it, in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This world, this universe, this life, it's all groaning in pain and frustration and decay. Suffering is common to us all. It's, it's part of life, at least it's part of life now, ever since the garden, ever since the fall. This is life in God's cursed world. We all groan. And I don't think this is just a metaphor for how everything in our world breaks and is destroyed and decays. I think Paul is also talking about our common human groaning, literal groaning. Uh, a few months ago, I sat down in her landroom and Julie, my wife, asked, puck her head around the door going, is everything all right? And I said, yeah, yes, why? And she goes, I just heard this terrible gurgh coming from the other room. Was that you sitting down? <laughs> and that's when I knew that it was all downhill from me. But not just that, it's deep groaning, soul groaning. Everybody groans in God's cursed world. It's not just Christians, it's everyone. For many of us, that suffering, that groaning, that sorrow is only just beneath the surface. Whether it's something that happened a long long time ago or something that we are going through right now, the Bible acknowledges 
the reality of it, the groaningness of it. But it's also worth saying that we all have suffering ahead of us. That is, some of us might not have faced really horrible things just yet. But hardship is not something any of us can escape from. And if you're a parent, it's not something you can protect your children from. In preparation for this talk, we actually sat down and filmed a video with Andrew Orenstein, who's at our Lake Mac congregation. He's a clinical psychologist, does a lot of, lot of work with kids. And he has this great line. He says, parents shouldn't prepare the road for their children. Rather, parents should prepare their children for the road. Parents should prepare their children for the road of hardship and suffering that life is. Because we can't shelter our children from suffering in this life. And so we all groan. The Bible acknowledges that we all groan with this deep wish that we weren't caught in this curse. But Romans 8 goes on to say that if you're a Christian, you actually have another type of groaning. If you're a Christian, not only do you groan with the rest of the world, we also groan with God's Spirit. So, take a look from verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See, we, if you're a Christian, we groan on a whole other level. While the rest of the world is is groaning generally about suffering, we are also groaning specifically about the future, longing for the future that God has promised us. Because not only does God's Spirit help us understand the curse of the world we're, we're in and why it's cursed and what that's like, but the Spirit also gives us a better understanding of what God has promised to give us through Jesus. So in the midst of suffering, of life, of groaning and hardship, we rightly groan for heaven, for the day when God will raise us up from the dead, when we'll be without sickness or death or mourning or crying or pain. Friends, if you long for that day, that day when Jesus returns and restores you, if you long for that day in the midst of suffering, then that is the fruit, that longing is the fruit of God's Spirit in you, helping you long for that day. But that's not all the Spirit does. The Spirit here in Romans chapter 8 also helps us by groaning for us. Take a look at the next verse, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Have you ever been in those moments? when you're just without words, when you're just in tears and you just feel so weak and fragile and empty and soulless and you don't even know what to pray. This verse is saying that in those moments, not only in those moments but particularly in those moments, God's Spirit Himself is groaning with you. He's inside you. He's going through what you are going through and He is praying to your Heavenly Father for you. And the wonderful thing is that the Spirit actually prays the very thing 
God would want you to pray if you had the words. That's what he says next. Look at verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes, prays for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That is, when we're weak, when, when we're lost and sad and the Holy Spirit is calling out to God for us, the Spirit is groaning out to God in accordance with God's will. In accordance with God's particular plan for you. And this is in the moment of our worst suffering, the Spirit is saying to our Father, please, let's do what we've planned for Dave. Let's do what in eternity past we've planned for Dave, in eternity future, let's do that. Let's enact our will for Dave in the midst of this suffering. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that lovely? That God, by His Spirit, isn't just beside us in our weakness and suffering, that He's in us. That is, God does more than empathise with us in our pain. God is in us. He is groaning along with our pain and He is praying perfect prayers for our good. That is, I think this is more than comfort here. There is joy in knowing that in the midst of suffering, we do not and we will never suffer alone. There is the joy of knowing that we have someone with us, in us, who groans with us. But it raises a question. If the Spirit is praying these prayers for us, in accordance with God's will, then what is the Spirit praying for? What is, what is the Spirit asking God to do? What is the plan of God in our lives that the Spirit's asking the Father to enact in the midst of our pain? Well, that's what verse 28 is about. That verse that, that Greg mentioned, uh, Romans 8, 28, it's one of those verses that Christians throw about, uh, write on posters, put up on walls. But in the context, it's all about what the Spirit is asking for, what the Spirit is praying when we are in the midst of suffering in the midst of our weakness and despair and sadness. So take a look again at verse 28. And we know that in all things, and the context here is all, all our weakness and our suffering and frustration and groaning, in all these things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you see what God's will is for us? Do you see what is God's big plan? God's big plan that he's enacted from the beginning of creation, that, he, that he's bringing to fruition into heaven. What is God's big will for those he calls and loves and saves? It's that we would become Jesus' brothers and sisters. That, that, that we would bear His family likeness, that we'd become like Him in our character and in our love and in our spirit and in our closeness to the Father. This is the wonderful thing that the Spirit is praying for us in our weakness, in our suffering and in our tears. The Spirit is praying, Father, please, let's make Dave more like Jesus. Let's transform him let's make him 
more. Let's make him love him more. Let's make him love you more than he has before. Let's, let's help Dave to trust you more than he has before. Let's make him depend on you more than he has before. Please, Father, let's do this thing that we've been planning for eternity to do in Dave. Let's do it now. See, this is a surprising thing about suffering. That even though suffering is this terrible part of this cursed world we live in, and we, we rightly weep and pray for it to end, God uses suffering for our good. Now, this might be one of those moments where we, need to, we might need to reframe what we think is good. See, the common idea about what is good for us is whatever makes us happy. You hear parents say things like, oh, I just want my kids to be happy. And you think, actually, sometimes being happy isn't what's actually for those kids good. God has a bigger picture of what is good for us. He has a better idea, a better sense of what is for our good, our spiritual good, our eternal good. And that's what the Spirit is in us groaning for, our ultimate good that we would be transformed more and more to be like Jesus. As an example, I've, I've had the privilege of seeing this in a mate of mine who's had a struggle with, with depression for years, serious depression, real, real darkness, and he hates it. It's terrible. He, he would not wish it on his worst enemy, he said before. And yet, at the same time, he also thanks God for it. He'll tell you that by God's grace through this, this hardship and suffering, it's made him the Christian man he is today. It's made him more humble, more patient, more kind. It's made him more prayerful. It's made him more thankful. It's made him more loving. It's made him more other person centered. It's made him more devoted to God. It's made him more like God has always planned for him to be. And yeah, he longs for the day when Jesus returns and, and takes away this dreadful darkness. But there's a real sense of joy, of peace in what God has made him, in the Christian man that God has made him in the midst of that. And he'll tell you that he wouldn't change it for the world. See, God's word says something to us about suffering and joy that is quite surprising. Not only is it possible for suffering and joy to coexist, God's Word says that they're related, that they're connected. And we see this other parts of the Bible as well. So take a look at Romans chapter 5. What Paul says there, he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory, we celebrate, rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. See how Paul encourages us to see sufferings as a reason for joy? Because suffering, enduring through those times, persevering, it makes us who we are, changes our character, makes us hope more and trust God more and love God more. Or James, James chapter 1 says it even more starkly. James says, consider it pure joy. Pure, true joy. Consider it true joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
See how James says the trials, sufferings, the hardships for the Christian, they're actually a source of true joy because they help us become what God has eternally purposed us and called us and made us to be, mature and perfect and holy. That is God's great will and purpose for us, His reason He made us is to become those things. And so if suffering is the path to those things, to becoming those things, then the Bible says that's a reason for joy because God's perfect will is coming about. Now, please hear me. I'm, I don't think we're meant to feel happy about suffering. If you're in the middle of suffering and hardship or hurt or sadness, it's completely right to feel sad and to grieve and to mourn and to groan. That's what Romans 8 says, what Greg was saying on the video. It's so right. Suffering is horrible. And so joy in suffering doesn't mean a facade of smiley, happy faces. I think joy is this deep sense of peace, of security in God, of a sense of purpose even, a joy of the soul that knows that even in the midst of terrible times, God is for you. He is for you. That's where Romans 8 lands. Come back to Romans 8 and look at verse 31 with me. What then, Romans 8, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, the great conclusion of the gospel, if you're going to summarize the gospel, the promises of God is this. God is for you. God is for you. Despite everything that may happen, God is for you. In the darkest moments of your life, God is for you. When everything seems lost, when you're, when you're, at, when you're lost for words, when you're just in, in the midst of despair, God is still for you. Even if everything in this world that brings you joy was taken away, even then, God is for you. The gospel declares that God in Jesus has shown you that God is for you. That's how he says it in verse 35, he says the same thing. Look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Again, this is the reality we face in this world, day by day, suffering and death, decay and pain. Do these things mean that God is not for us? Do these things mean that we have somehow lost God's love because we're going through these hardships? Look at verse 37. No. In all these things, in all these terrible, horrible things that may happen, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what joy is here? 
See what joy looks like in the midst of terrible things that may happen, of suffering and death. It's being able to rest. Joy is being able to rest on the solid, firm and wonderful truth that regardless of anything that may happen, God has shown His love for you in Jesus. God is for you. Friends, each week as we've looked at the idea of joy in the Christian life, there's been something, I don't know about you, but there's something each week that I've been struck by that I've gone, oh, I haven't actually thought about joy like that before. Let me tell you what it is for me this week as I've prepared this talk. I've been challenged to consider how it would be good. God might rightly and for my good decide to use suffering in my life to deepen my relationship with Him, my joy in Him. I found that challenging. That God may use pain and hardship in my life, in my family's life, to help me locate my joy in His amazing love for me displayed in Christ more than I locate my joy in other things. Does that make sense? Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. Uh, imagine a, uh, a family house, family home that's one day destroyed by fire. The family that owns the house that's been destroyed by fire is beside themselves with grief. They, the, the, their modest family home is gone. They've lost everything. There's no insurance. Everything's gone. Everything is lost. But as the rubble gets cleared away, they discover that beneath the house that they, were, that they owned was a basement that they never knew existed. And in that basement, there is gold and cash and riches and wealth beyond belief. It was always there. It was always theirs. They always owned it. They've, been, they've owned this riches the whole time they've been there, but they've never known that they've owned it. And it, only, it was only through, it took a, t- a fire, a terrible loss to help them see what wonderful riches they already had. That's the idea I've been challenged by this week. The idea that God's love for me is of such great worth. It is so amazing that I can find so much joy in it that God may deem it for my good that I go through terrible hardship so that I better know it that I better love Him. That is, that God in His caring hand, protective hand, may lead me or my family through terrible grief and pain so that I may better grasp His love, that I may find deeper joy in Him and in what He is transforming me to be. That's been a challenging idea for me this week. And so that is the surprising thing about joy. That for the Christian, we have God's Spirit living in us, groaning with us as we go through hardship, groaning that we would become more like Jesus, our brother, that we'd be like Him in our character, even through hardship. That when we face suffering and pain, still with tears, still with heartache and sadness, we can face those things with the enduring joy that God is for us. 
He loves us. And sometimes it's only through suffering that we'll have the eyes to see it. Let's pray that we have the eyes to see it. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, it is somewhat unfathomable that suffering and joy could coexist. And yet it is so wonderful to know that by your Spirit you groan along with us. God, you know what's good. And in the midst of suffering, we pray that you would help us cling to the wonderful hope we have that in Christ you are for us, that you have shown us love and nothing in this world, losing everything in this world, nothing can take away that one wonderful source of joy. And Father, we pray that when we do face suffering, we would find our deepest joy in you and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.